Hello and welcome to Lady Time, a podcast for those of us navigating midlife and sometimes a little beyond it, which is a conversation we're going to have today. I'm your host, Jill McGregor, and my guest is Shikai Ishikawa. Shikai is a Japanese native who went to the US when she was just 19 years old because she wanted to perform in American musicals. She achieved that dream and went on to perform on Broadway and many other major American theatres. She also taught music, movement and voice to adults all the way down to three-year-olds. After retiring from the theatre business, she worked for the World Peace Organization in New York and she also led workshops to interact and swim with wild dolphins and whales. Now in retirement, Chikai enjoys organic gardening, healthy cooking, walking the neighborhood dogs along with her own dog and connecting with freedom loving conscious people. What a colorful uh, career you've had Shikai and I'm very excited to have you on Lady Time today and to share some of your amazing life experiences. So you're very welcome and thank you for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I, I so look forward to talking with you. And we've already had a good long natter, as we would say here in Ireland. And uh, it's just been lovely getting to know you even more than I already do. Um, I suppose I'll just start at the very beginning. And I wonder what inspired you to become or to want to be in American musicals when you were this young girl living in your native Japan? Well, um, I was in, I believe I was in sixth grade when I saw uh, West Side Story and The Sound of Music, you know, the films with Julie Andrews and, you know, <laughs> and I absolutely fell in love with um, the musicals, you know, those musicals. And I said, I want to do that. And a performance um, blood was in me because my father was an actor, singer, piano player and comedian and stuff like that. And he did some musicals in Japan. He had his own um, TV shows and stuff. and. And so I, I grew up, you know, I mean, I, my parents got divorced when I was quite young, so I didn't really live with him that long, but the blood was in me, <laughs> the performance blood. So I just, just wanted, and then I started taking dance lessons and stuff and, you know, and so it was, you know, I always loved mu music. So that's how it started. And, um, yeah. So you, you, what kind of dancing did you learn in Japan and, and singing as well? Did you take lessons? I'm presuming you did all of that. Well, um, in, you know, when I was a teenager, um, I started taking uh, dance lessons, which is actually quite late to become a professional dancer. But, um, you know, ballet is a basic for everything. So I had to take ballets and uh, ballet classes and as well as jazz, you know, classes, jazz dancing. And um, I wasn't too much into tap, but I took some. But um, so as far as singing lessons, actually, um, when I was a little kid, um, like, a, 
even before kindergarten or kindergarten, the back of our house was a music school. So I did start taking um, singing classes there when I was little. I don't even really remember that much. <laughs> I was very young, but I loved singing. And uh, I remember um, in my um, elementary school, teacher used to say in music classes, like, okay, you sing very well, kind of things like that. <laughs> yeah, uh, compliments in my music classes and stuff. And um, so I always loved music. And my father had a piano and he, he would play. And I remember sitting right next to him you know, playing his piano and just listening to him sitting right next to him, so, which was a lovely experience. Yeah. So. Oh, what, what a lovely way to, to grow up. Um, so did you start, uh, were you in any musicals in Japan before you left? Because you were young when you left. You were yeah. 19. No, I, I didn't do anything. I was, I was 19 like mm -hmm. when I came here. And actually I used to say to my mom, um, I want to go to the States. I want to go to the States. I don't even want to go to high school. <laughs> and she said, no, you have to graduate from high school at least. But incredible thing was at that time, you know, my mother and father were divorced. So I was raised by my mother basically. And, um, she, um, at that time, not too many people were divorced in Japan. And so she raised me by herself and she said, if you really want to go to the States, you better get used to living by yourself and feeling lonely and things like that. So you, she put me in a tiny little apartment, very close to my high school. And she said, you better start learning how to live by yourself, and, which is incredible. And, you know, I'm her only daughter. She raised me and she put me in a tiny little apartment to make me prepare for what I wanted to do. And I am so grateful for that. Um, it, for her to let me go mm -hmm. and she let me go her own child mm -hmm. she let me go so that I can live the life that I wanted to live oh, wow. and I'm so grateful for that forever yeah. and that's did you say you were an only child yes. or yeah okay. I'm, being, I'm her only child yeah oh my goodness yeah. Is your mom still alive? No, she passed away in 2014. But okay. um, yeah, yeah. But after I came to the States, I, you know, I visited Japan, you know, here and there. But it's not like I went back there every year or so often. I mean, it's, it's pretty far away. <laughs> it's like 13 hour plane ride and pretty expensive too so yeah um, but but I at the end I was um, I was uh, after she sort of uh, um, had a, a brain hemorrhage yeah and she had Alzheimer's too so 
the last um, the last few months I was able to stay there in the hospital. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that, Ishika. Uh, I'm sorry to hear that. Um, but it was very uh, sort of um, selfless of her to let her only child go in that way. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, a lot of parents just hold on to their children and they want, um, they don't necessarily, um, they, sometimes the parents think that they know better and to try to protect their children, often they don't necessarily give the children their own choices for their life, you know? And uh, my mother did, exact opposite she i'm sure she worried about you know how i'm going to you know to survive in this this land that i don't i didn't even really speak that well of english and at that time a little bit to and and um to just let me go and to you know to live my own life whatever may come you know along the way she was able to do that and that's uh to me that showed me how much she really loved me mm. i think she you know in japan actually especially as a woman um a lot of times you were well you were supposed to get married and have children and you know in old in older generation, maybe younger generations are a little bit different, but uh, older generation women were supposed to be, you know, subservient to men or whatever. And um, I, I have a feeling that she didn't necessarily um, couldn't live the way she wanted to live. And I think she wanted me to have that. So I'm very, very grateful. As a matter of fact, she told me when I was born and the nurse told her that, oh, it's a girl. She told me she cried because just like her, this girl is going to be stubborn and, you know, headstrong and, and all of that. And she is going to probably have hard, hard life in Japan, you know, growing up as a, as a girl or woman. And so she cried. And because of that, she um, decided that she was going to uh, raise me very strictly, you know? Mm -hmm. So she, she did have a very um, strict, and she would just uh, shut me up if I started talking back and stuff like that. But um, she thought that that kind of, you know, headstrong, expressive things in Japan at that time, especially weren't going to fly. And, um, you know, there's an old Japanese saying that if a, a nail sticking out will be hammered down, you know? Mm. So she knew that it, it was going to, I, I was going to probably face a lot of, a lot of that. But because of that kind of culture, um, and who I am as a soul, a spirit. 
I instinctively knew that I needed to go someplace else like America. I needed to be able to express myself, you know, um, and express my emotions or whatever. And I, so I felt like I couldn't truly be myself there. And so on the surface, I wanted to do American musicals. And then, yeah, I felt, I felt a lot of connection with that. But at the same time, I think in deeper levels, I knew my soul um, needed to be someplace else, I think for me, for my spiritual growth. And I probably had soul connection to America because when I first came to, I, I flew to Los Angeles and the land, you know, the plane was landing in LAX. And I looked outside my window of the airplane and I felt I'm coming. I've never been to America before in this lifetime, at least. I said, I'm coming home. I'm coming home. Yeah, so that's interesting. <laughs> that's very interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that is interesting. Um, I, you just reminded me when you were talking about flying into LAX. I, I, I didn't have that feeling of coming home, but I remember coming from America, an old boyfriend. Well, he still lives in LA, although he's from Ireland. I was going over to visit him. And uh, as I was flying over, you know, getting into American airspace, let's say, but as I got closer to LA, um, and then I was landing in LA, I got this distinct feeling that the energy was so different. It wasn't quite as, I'll say dense as, as Ireland, but it, I don't mean that it's dense here, but it sort of is in one way. And I had this feeling of the energy getting lighter and lighter and a lot more sense of freedom. And it was just a sensation. So you know, I can just see you landing in LAX when you're 19 and just feeling like you're going home, you know. So, but that was still very brave of you, Shakai, to just up sticks from a completely different culture that spoke a different language and you didn't even have the language. So what had you set up to arrive into LA? Had you anything set up beforehand? Um, I, you know, I was thinking about New York because I was interested in theater, mm -hmm. um, theater. So, you know, New York, Broadway and things, but somehow I think, um, I was researching the kind of places that, that I could be. And, um, I don't exactly remember why I decided to go to Los Angeles first, but, um, I think there was, um, um, when I was researching where I could stay, there, there was an organization that had the, um, uh, that would set up those students, foreign students, into um, American families. I think it was called, um, I can't even, rem even remember what it was called. Um, so anyway, um, if you do some housework or babysitting or whatever, and then yeah. you get free a room and board kind of thing set up. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, I found that out and then I think I settled on that. And so 
and that was interesting too, you know, different culture and you're dealing with the different different kind of people, American family. I, I did that the first uh, year and um, yeah, had an interesting experience. Some good, some <laughs> some not so good, but <laughs> it was it was learning experience and, and it, it was good. You know, at least you were living with some people, you know, and, and um, um, you know, some racial prejudice here and there, I saw. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, interesting experience, though. Um, I, because Japan is basically one race country. You know, most of the people are Japanese and we have some Korean people and Chinese people, but they look like us. You know, we look look like each other. And and at that time, well, right now um, it's different. There are lots of Americans living there or from Australia or England mm -hmm. or, or from all over the, the world, really. But at that time, you hardly ever see you know, I mean, some Americans were there, some, you know, Europeans, yeah. but n not as many as you would see now, you know, in Tokyo and the big cities and stuff. So um, you learn, so you don't really see, you don't really see a huge, like a racism and stuff. I mean, some, you know, between Japanese and Koreans and Chinese and there, but I wasn't really that aware, you know, at that time I was still, you know, young kid. And, but here I've experienced like a, in the Christmas dinner, I was staying with um, uh, uh, this older couple um, in Beverly Hills and as a, you know, student and uh, I was doing their house cleaning and stuff. and for Christmas or Thanksgiving, I believe it was a Christmas, and they hired this uh, uh, African-American lady, older lady, to cook the whole Christmas dinner for, for the family. They had their children, the grandchildren come. And, um, you know, after she cooked all day, this beautiful dinner for them, and hardly anybody came back to the end of, me and that lady who cooked the whole dinner would eat in a small kitchen, of mm -hmm. course, you know, and um, nobody really came to thank her. I don't care, you know, but, it, you know, so I just, I just uh, saw some of those things, not a huge thing, but mm -hmm. learned something that I never really understood before. But you know what, to go into, I think in order for you to really understand your own culture, you kind of have to go outside of it. And then once you're outside, you start, it, you start to learn about your culture too, you know, more objectively. You know, before you're in it and then you don't see anything else so you don't really know, um, truly, I don't think, but once you're out, you start to learn about your own culture more too. So that that's very interesting, very interesting, good or bad, yeah. Yeah, 
I, you make, you remind me of uh, when I left in the 80s to go to London from Ireland. And there's a lot of history between Ireland and England. And uh, even though we're, we're all, as you say, of the same kind of race, you could say, um, but there's such a difference and there's been such a, a divide over the years, not so much now. Um, but I remember after coming back to live in Ireland after, or lived back again to Ireland to live uh, from London after four years, uh, I really got to see, you're right, I really got to see Irish, Irishness and Irish culture and how we're viewed as well. Not always in a good way and a lot of the times in a good way, but a lot of the times in a, in a negative way, at least then you know, back then in the 80s, uh, especially in London. So it is interesting. You need to leave your culture and your country to actually understand it. Um, but that's interesting. And at what point did you start to get into the, you know, the theatre work? Was it in L.A. or were you studying in L.A.? Yes, I was uh, taking dance lessons and some voice classes and stuff in LA and um, yeah I started you know I went through college majored in, in theaters but after the first year I started getting jobs so I said well I, I'm gonna just do that <laughs> so I started doing you know theater work there and some not much but TV and you know and stuff and um, yeah I that was fun you know a lot of it and then a little later um i got like a um uh, you know i started auditioning for uh, a big ones and getting jobs like a big you know national company for chorus line and and uh, nine and you know stuff so so i did that and traveled all over the united states and yeah performed in major theaters and throughout the the United States and it's a lot of fun. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, and were you dancing and singing in the chorus line? Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. I, I played uh, Connie Wong. I think that was the character's name. It was so long ago. I can't remember. <laughs> and that's like 40 years. Yeah, 40 years ago. Yeah, almost. Yeah, 30 some years ago. And uh, yeah, it was really fun. Um, you know, it's interesting because um, um, when I was, when I stand in a big theater and dark and you, you perform or you're just in a theater, I felt so comfortable, so comfortable. Um, it's like my home. Um, I guess that's why I say, you know, perform, performing is, is in my blood. I just felt very at home and um, it's so interesting you can feel the vibration from the audience when you when they're whether there's an applause or not it, you can feel palpable energy from the audience so um you know that they, they, they talk about the energy um, give and take kind of thing between audience and, and a performance. It's very true. It's very true. 
you can feel it. The fact is, later I learned that the vibration, everything is vibration, our thoughts, our feeling, everything. So that's how we, I believe that's how we create our lives. That's how we affect each other. And, and the prayers, a lot of people talk about prayers and, you know, helping actually when a lot of people pray for sick people and stuff, those people heal much better or faster. And that's scientific study, you know, and it's goes way beyond science, but it's, it's, um, I believe that because I felt it, you know, when there's thousands of people in the audience, the energy is multiplied, you know, so whatever they're feeling, we can feel whatever we're feeling, they can feel. So what, that's what were your favorite performances? What are your favorite performances? Yeah. Your favorite ones, who, yeah, for you, in, in, in ter especially in terms of what you've just said about, you know, the resonance with your audience. What were your favorite or the characters that you played? Well, actually, you know what, the, my, my most memorable performance would be the, the gala performance of the chorus line when chorus line broke the longest, became the longest running show on Broadway in 1983, long time ago. Um, it, they did a special performance, um, just one time performance with the dress rehearsal earlier and then the real performance, gala performance. And the major stars were invited on Broadway. Meryl Streep was there. Liza Minnelli was there. Helen Hayes was sitting right in the center of the front row. And um, uh, many people, uh, Mikhail Barishnikov was there. Tommy Toon was there. Like a major people, major performance, you know, performing artists were there. And I, I don't even know who actually were there, all, all of those people. But, uh, but those people were the ones that I saw on <laughs> the stage. And it was like really nerve wracking performance, but, um, and I was given the chance by Michael Bennett, the director and, you know, the, who conceived Chorus Line um, to sing nothing, um, Diana Morales' part. And so sang solo in Japanese. And it was most, it was scary, but it was the most incredible, you know, experience. And I'm very, very grateful that I was able to do that. And, and, and um, you know, it was one, you know, one of lifetime, you know, just very special yeah. uh, experience that I was given. So, so that's most memorable. But many things that, that I was um, um, given the chance to perform, I'm, it was just so much fun. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know, it, it's interesting because um, I even, I used to like visualize um, myself performing on stage, big stage, like all the time. I just saw myself doing that. And I just kept 
sort of playing. It was very natural for me to visualize those things. I didn't, I wasn't doing it because somebody told me to do it, to materialize um, your dream into reality. But it just, just sort of, I just, you know, as a only child, I often played in my mind. I often played a story with a doll or whatever, comes up with a story and visualize all kinds of stuff and imagine all kinds of stuff. So that was a very natural thing for me to do. And that's what I was doing. I just saw myself singing and dancing and acting on the big stage. And actually it came true and maybe that's why I felt so comfortable in a big theater because I saw myself doing that all the time when I was a kid so and I was that was what I was going to ask you about that later but now that you have already um, mentioned it we might as well dig into that a little bit because um, uh, visualization is uh, is very um, is a, and and the power of your intention is something that's a, a very strong and prevalent in your life. So you started it as a child, and I suppose as children, our imaginations are well. Your imagination probably stayed really vivid, Shikai, but uh, mine. I, I don't think it closed down. But you know, as we get older, sometimes we lose touch with that. So I wondered that yours was so strong as a child that you actually got to America from that sixth grade little uh, girl um, to American musicals on Broadway. So talk a little bit about your, your way, the way that you do your um, visualization and your power of intention, even if it's just always came naturally to you, if you can. Actually, you know what, like, like, like I said, it wasn't taught to me, mm. it happened naturally. So, but I know one thing that when I imagine stuff or story, or when, when I actually, I would live it in my mind or in my heart. So always comes with a very strong feeling. So I used to imagine the romantic scenario you know, um, uh, or it, I, I have this wonderful feeling. I, I actually feel like I'm actually in love. My heart feels like I'm actually really experiencing being in love. So when I am performing, when I'm visualizing myself performing on Broadway, actually I was feeling, actually feel what it is like to perform there. I have the actual feeling inside me as if I'm actually experiencing it right now. So that was an in interesting thing. And I used to do that with, um, well, later on, um, I, I uh, swam with the wild dolphins. It, it's interesting, while I was, I was touring with a chorus line or whatever the show, that, that probably chorus line, um, I was in a hotel room in a city and watching TV and Nova science program came up and they were talking about the intelligence of animals and dolphins came on 
And when I looked at those dolphins, I was just so transfixed in, in, into that dolphin's face or image. And I said, I got to meet them. I got to see them. I got to be with dolphins. I don't know where it came from. I didn't really have particular interest in dolphins before, but it's just like, oh my God, I got I to gotta meet them. So every city that we traveled, I used to visit aquariums because that was the only place that at that time I knew where I could see them. And I would visit them and I just like overflowing love comes over me. And it's like, I, oh my God, I love you, I love you. And I started to, to have this interesting thing. When I feel so much love and the emotion comes in, dolphins will come toward me and stare at me and sometimes trans just like we connect and uh, um, later on um, some trainers who were about to feed the dolphins and when I stand over there with overwhelming love and just connecting with them the dolphins would stare at me rather than paying attention to the trainers with the fish fish in the bucket they would still like want to connect with me and they the trainers will look at me like it's about what is this woman doing and all i'm doing was just like feeling like i'm with them and 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 swimming with them or being close to them and 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 also, I used to imagine, visualize, I, just kind of superficial, but I wanted to kiss them, you know, on the <laughs> nose. So I used to visualize and to, to feel what it feels like to actually kiss them. And I was in this, this place, it's still a, a cap, you know, captive situation. I don't go for captive situation any, you know, no longer, but in, I, I don't want dolphins to be captive in any way, but there was this uh, swimming with the dolphin place, dolphins plus or something like that in Florida. And I used to go there to swim with them. And I had this visualization of kissing them, right? And I was standing one day there um, uh, with my mask on, but the snorkel out and and I was just standing in the shallow water and dolphins were swimming. And one dolphin came to me and then put their nose right on my lips, just like I imagined. So I knew they could feel. I wasn't particularly at that moment imagining them doing that, but I had that visualization and the feeling of that happening actually so many times that they could feel that and they came and materialized it for me and I have other incredible dolphin stories like and, and later I started swimming with dolphins in in Hawaii and the Bahamas and other places and um, one time I I was um Actually, I wanted to have, somebody told me that they experienced swimming with them under the moonlight on summer solstice or something, under a huge moonlight. 
And it was just at night. It was incredible, he was telling me. So I wanted to experience that. So I just imagined doing that and feeling it. It's like, and um, I was uh, coordinating for a, a Japanese TV show um, uh, for a dolphin thing. And um, I was on the boat and summer solstice was close. So on this summer solstice night, I even stayed sleeping on the deck. So just in, this, this was in Bahamas. And um, if dolphins do come around the boat, I could hear them. I was sleeping on the deck and I heard them coming. And so quickly I put on my fins and masks and I dove in when, when I saw their fins going around the boat. And that, oh my God, it was so bright because the full moon, summer solstice, full moon, and moon was like right there, so close, and it was bright. And I quietly slid into the water and several dolphins came, I think there were two or three. And then just they, they swam right beside me and their fin touched my body just like this. <laughs> And oh my God, and they would just close their eyes and just enjoy be swimming beside me. And I'm like, oh my God. It, and they touched me with their fins gently. And, um, you know, and then another time I was swimming in Hawaii by myself and I heard their their sonars. I knew they were close, but I couldn't see them. And so I started free diving and they like us free diving. So I free dive and dove and, and I was making <laughs> kind of sound <laughs> and, and they can hear me. Their sonar became louder and louder. So I knew they were getting closer to me. And, and I dug deeper. And then when I came up to the surface to breathe, the bunch of dolphins were making circle around me. I came up in the middle of the circle. And it was like, oh my goodness. It's just, I have so many of those, like it's almost like a fantasy like, you know, uh, experiences with them. They absolutely told me that whatever you, whenever you feel so much love and so much emotions and appreciation and, and the vision is so strong, it has to happen mm -hmm. in your life because we absolutely create our lives with our thoughts and emotions and words and actions but thoughts and emotions oh my goodness it's so strong it absolutely creates your experience in your life yeah so i mean i have so many of those stories and i could go on and on and on but but i know they one of the lessons that they taught me was that they know what we're feeling they they can they can communicate with us telepathically and when you have this 
strong love, affection, and gr gratitude and appreciation. They can absolutely feel. Yeah, other animals could feel too. Dogs and cats and you know other animals, mm -hmm. but dolphins and whales they're incredible they're very they, they, really, they really are incredible i've met one or two dolphins and uh, a whale uh, i didn't meet the whale but um, i was in the canaries and uh yeah and there was a, it was it was sad but it was beautiful at the same time a little baby dolphin had died and the people that had taken out, us out on the boat, a small little boat were very conscious and aware of what to do and be around the whales. And uh, when we were nearby, he switched off the engine and uh, he, the, the mom whale had her little baby on her nose or on her head or whatever it was. And all of the other whales came around her to keep her safe and protected from us just in case we were going to do harm and apparently she would mourn her baby until I, I don't know at what point the you know the, the baby would sort of descend you know the, the dead baby would disintegrate but I, I will never forget the feeling I had my heart expanded it just it just felt like it was it had grown so huge being in the presence of the of the whales and it's the same with the dolphins so I mean it's amazing your experiences are really amazing and that you heard their sonar as well I mean people don't normally hear the sonar so you've I got yeah that's not hard it's they're, they're <laughs> kind of sound you can hear it <laughs> Yeah, oh, you can hear it. Okay. Yeah. Especially like in the water, the, I think sound travels faster. Okay, yeah, it's, yeah. It's really, yeah. Um, it, you can't, you can't not hear it. You, you mm -hmm. can hear it. Yeah. Oh, okay. It's, it's interesting. It's interesting what you said that because I have an experience when I, when we were, when I was taking some people to swim with the wild dolphins in the Bahamas because especially um, spotted dolphins in the Bahamas are very friendly. They didn't swim with people. They love to play with people and we play games, catch the leaf game and kind of stuff. And uh, one time um, we were, we spotted a couple of us um, swimming and we spotted um, a bunch of dolphins near the, um, the, um, the bottom, you know, it, it wasn't, it, it wasn't that deep. And we saw we saw a bunch of dolphins gathering and we were wondering. So a couple of us just started going toward, toward them. And then two dolphins would come toward us and gently try to uh, you know, guide us away from that. And, and then, then when we go this way, they, they'll go back. And then I wasn't quite sure what was happening. And so we were trying again, trying to go over there and probably the same two dolphins come as, you know, guide us away. And I saw one dolphin, probably one dolphin was injured or dying. 
in a bottom of the sea and their friends or family were gathering toward that dolphin and two dolphins were trying to steer us away, trying to protect, yeah? And I saw that later, but um, oh my goodness, what a gentle way to steer us away um, to protect, you know, the, a family of dolphins who is injured or dying or, you know, it's, it's, I knew about the, the strong family tie, the pod tie uh, between the dolphins, but um, uh, yeah, it's, it's really, really incredible. Um, so to, to keep them in a captivity, in a concrete tank, which, which their sonar cannot work, bounce back and it, yeah, it, yeah, it's, um, it's a terrible thing. And they separate them, separate them from their own pod and family and, and for our entertainment. You know, I, I swam with them and, and I, you know, I visited them in captivities and in the beginning, I did not know any of those things before I started really interacting with the wild dolphins and they told me all kinds of stuff. Mm. Yeah. And, oh. Yeah. That's, um, I, I could not take the smile off my face when, uh, when you were talking about the dolphins and the whales, what a beautiful work that you did. Um, do you still do you still go and try and visit dolphins? I mean, I know the last couple of years we couldn't go anywhere, but is it something you still like to do? Actually, I haven't done it for many, many years because while I was doing it in like 1992, three, around there, um, you know, I take group of people on a big boat and on the boat, we of course eat and stuff. And mm -hmm. the, the, the boat, you know, crew would just throw the rest of the food that we didn't eat, including dessert and all kinds of stuff. And the fish will come and try to eat it. And also I started to see the boat leaving some oil, you know, um, from the boat going into this beautiful ocean and polluting it. And um, I started to see those things and, and it's like, oh, and, and I always felt like we are going into the sea creatures, including dolphins and whales and other, you know, fish and all the other things that live in the ocean. We are visiting their living room, you know, living, um, natural um, ecosystem and we're polluting it and yeah sure by you know leaving this play shop I, I called them play shop this wasn't really a workshop it was a play shop you know to interact with them and of course I try to um, share some information about what's hap happening with the captivity and the aquariums and and about dolphins and how there's strong tie with their family and a pod and we are separating them like I was saying to you before and all kinds of stuff you know captivity issue in Japan is also they still kill and eat dolphin meat mm -hmm. and whale meat and stuff so I wanted to educate um you know some Japanese people about those things and you know and so in a way 
maybe it was a positive thing to try to have the, the great experience with them and to, to develop love. And actually, actually those things start happening in Japan a lot. And a lot of like a dolphin boom was happening and other people started doing the dolphin trips, you know, all over Japan and, and, and foreign countries as well. And um, there was some positives, but I also saw some negatives, you know, and I felt like uh, if the positive outweighs and uh, maybe it's okay, but I started to see, I wasn't sure if really positive were outweighing, you know, at one point so I said, that's, that's enough and maybe I could do. So I haven't done it for a long time, mm -hmm. but I, because they gave me such deep, deep connection and experiences and taught me a lot, it's in here, it's in my heart. Mm -hmm. You know, they'll never go away. And I was actually, I've been trying to um, declutter and I've, I've seen some of these um, beautiful, <clears throat> beautiful um, pictures and some of those, um, uh, these were a couple of books that, um, it, you know, I had some um, Japanese photographers came uh, to um, for dolphin experiences, and uh, this was like one of the pictures. I don't know if you can see it. One of the dolphin pictures that he took, and oh wow, picture books. This is another photographer. These are bah Bahama dolphins, and there are so many beautiful pictures in here. And uh, so I was going through that and it's like, oh my God, what a incredible experiences that was. And they gave me, yeah, some of these, I don't know if you can see. Oh, they are amazing. Oh, really amazing pictures. I know our, our audiences uh, will just uh, hear the audio, but they are really, <laughs> truly amazing pictures of the dolphins. Um, and I love, I love the way you say that we're in their living room. I never ever thought of that. I've always thought I had somehow, I didn't think I had a right, but I would just, without thinking, like, you know, go, go up in an airplane in the air and, you know, a lot of birds are um, suffering because of that. And uh, it's the same with the ocean as well. We are in their home. It's not our home, it's their home. Um, but it is incredible that they, they, they taught you so much as well. And really, Shakai, I think not very many people would have managed to have the connection that you had with dolphins now, I think, um, I think, I think as well. If you, are, if you are swimming with dolphins there, they'll give you beautiful experiences. <laughs> they, love, they love to play. They love to, they love gentle, playful people. And they'll, you know, if you have, um, you know, love for them, they'll mm -hmm. love to be with you. They're beautiful, You also, uh, after you finished in the theater world, how long, you were in theater for a good 
few years weren't you good yeah maybe so i was in theater from like maybe 79 to 86 ish yeah yeah that's a good long time but you uh when you retired from the theater business you went to work for a world the, the world peace organization um, what what was that? And tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, you know what? It's interesting because um, I went back. Actually, it was also um, I they were auditioning long um, uh, for chorus line in Japan, and um, actually dance captain for um, um, American chorus line. Um, you know, the original chorus line, the dance captain was conducting the audition. I think he was hired by a Japanese um, musical theater company to put a chorus line, Japanese version there. And, and he was, um, this dance captain, um, you know, was hired to teach all the choreography and, you know, and things. And so I auditioned for it and I was hired and uh, so I went to Japan to rehearse and perform uh, Chorus Line, but they, they went through a long audition process as we were rehearsing. And um, through that, I met, um, you know, I became a friend with some cast members and uh, um, I used to visit her, her home um, in Tokyo. And I met this, this uh, her mother was um, into this uh, peace movement, peace prayer uh, movement called, um, and, and they, were, they were working through uh, peace prayer, spreading the peace prayer, uh, may peace prevail on earth. So I learned about it and she gave me a book that this founder, Masahisa Goi uh, wrote, it's called God Amen. And in Japanese, the original version, and um, she gave the book to me, and I read it, and uh, in the in on the train back to um, the house where my mother's house, and I started crying like a baby on a train, and I felt like, oh my God, this is, it, it just really touched me, that basically said, man or women, human beings are originally from a spirit from God and not, it's not, we are not a karmic existence. So all the afflictions um, were, we created by our thoughts and emotions and actions. And, and once it appears, it disappears unless you grab it and bring it, you know, negative thoughts with, along with it and create it and put it in our tape recorder. But so, and, and also um, talked about, he talked about guardian spirits or guardian angels, you can call it. And so after learning that, I came back to the States. And after I came back to the States, I said, if the guardian angel and guardian spirits were here, I need to know. I please, whatever experience you can give me, 
please somehow let me know. I'm going to be living in the States all by myself. And I absolutely want to know, need to know that you, you guardian angels and guardian spirits, if you are here with me all the time to protect me and guide me, I need to know. And so for three months, I prayed and prayed and prayed. And um, so anyway, I'm, I'm just going off a little bit, but I did. Um, so um, I asked for the experience. And one day I was walking on the street in Los Angeles. I was uh, living in Los Angeles at the time. And um, this big man approached me and said, I'm a guitarist for Jackson 5, you know, Michael Jackson and all these brothers. And um, we have a, a rehearsal tonight. Would you like to come? So I said, that sounds like fun. <laughs> like a young, stupid person. I said, sure. <laughs> and he picked me up that evening in, in his car. Now, I didn't drive, so I didn't, you know, he picked me up. And uh, he drove me up on the Sunset Boulevard to the, a hill and up on top of the hill. And there were some houses there, but nobody was around. It was getting darker. And uh, he tried to like kiss me and stuff. So I said, no, no, if you're going to do that, I'm going to get out. And I tried to open the door. He locked it from inside. I couldn't get out. And he, he tried to, to kiss me and he tried to, um, to get on my knee and stuff. And, oh, and I said, I started screaming. It's just like, help, help. Nobody was around, but there were some houses, like I said. So I, I, I felt like, oh, okay, if I scream, maybe somebody would hear me because I couldn't get out of the car. And he said at that moment, if, oh, you want to get rough on me, so I'll get rough on you. He climbed up on my knees and trying to, you know, um, take off my clothes or, or trying to kiss me or whatever. And he also turned up the volume of a radio so high that even if there was somebody, nobody could hear me. So I was stuck in this car with this huge man um, and top of, you know, uh, nowhere, nobody's around, nobody was around, and nobody could hear me, even if there was somebody. And all I could do at the moment was to just, just call out the help from a guardian angels and guardian spirits. So in Japanese, I said, please, guardian angels and guardian spirits, if you're really here for me, to protect me and guide me, please help me out. Please help me out. I was saying all of this in Japanese, so he couldn't understand what I was saying. Um, and he was about to rip my clothes. His hands were on my collar, the blouse. He was about to rip it off. And he just, boom, he went back to his driving seat and he got his hands on my hand, uh, on his face. And I was so shaken. I was like, I was shaking like a leaf. And um, after a while, he said, 
if I say something to you now, would you believe me? So I said, what? I was still shaking. And he said, I know what I did was wrong. I don't know what, I, what came over me. I've never done things like this. And will you forgive me? So, oh my God, I said, oh, if you know what you did was wrong, you already forgive me. And I was still shaking. So would you please take me home, drive me back home? He said, yes. And then after a little while, I started to calm down. And he even said to me, were you praying? So I said, I was calling out my guardian angels. And he said, you may not believe me, but I believe in God too. And he reached out in the back seat and showed me this postcards that had like, you know, changes, it's, it's, it's shiny and it changes pictures. Mm -hmm. And it was Jesus Christ and a cross on the postcard. And this man who was about to rape me and this girl talked about God all the way back to my apartment. And I had, so that was one of the experiences that my guardian angels gave me because I was asking for it. I said anything, please let me know. Oh yeah, they let me know. He said, he's never done anything like that. He said, I don't know what came over me. And I'm sure it was a lesson for both of us. Mm. You know, um, I asked for it, asked for the experience and he probably needed to go through that experience to see what could happen to him that maybe he needed to look at. Mm -hmm. And but it was incredible experience for both of us. And I have another experience. I was walking um, from my dance class and carrying a big bag of dance clothes and whatever. And um, I, I was, I was like, I was uh, at my apartment building. It was just right in front of my apartment building. This man put out a little tiny, but like a knife and said, give me your money, give me your wallet. So I said, oh my goodness. Um, and he, he seems to be afraid too because he was looking around and don't shout, don't shout. And he just kept saying to me, don't shout, don't shout. I said, I'm not gonna shout, it's okay. And, and I, I reached into the bag and I, I said to myself, oh my goodness, I just went to the bank the day before, withdrew $200. Around that time, I wasn't really making that much money. <laughs> and $200 is a big amount of money for me. And oh my God, I just went to the bank and I never... I never was the kind of person who would take out the money from the wallet and just, just keep, only keep a little bit in my wallet. No, I, I knew I had all $200 in my wallet. And I said, oh my goodness, you know, I just, so I reached into the wallet and there was nothing there, like $5.
I don't know why $200 wasn't there. So I said, I took out like $5 bill and said, here, and he wouldn't take it. No, it's fine. And he, he still had the knife and is that all you had? But yeah. And he just said, don't shout, don't shout. He just kept saying. So I said, I I'm not gonna shout, it's okay. And I could, I could feel that he was afraid, you know? So I said, well, and he wouldn't even take my $5. So I said, well, just because you couldn't get money from me, are you going to do the same thing to a, you know, another person? And I said, well, you might get some money from some people, but everything that you do will come back to you. That's the law of the universe. You see that, look at the, the plants. If you put out the rotten seed, nothing grows out of it or rotten things only come out of it. But if you put out the good seed and you water them and then you care, care for them and a beautiful flower, beautiful fruit will come out of it. That's how the universe works. And he started listening to me. And I said, would you, and so I started talking more about like, you know, this is the law of, I mean, law universal law like whatever we put out will come back to us as a result and um would you i mean if i give you um, i have a wonderful book the same book that that i was taught about guardian spirits and stuff and so would you like us a, a book if i give you i would like to give you a book he said yes so we walked up to in front of my apartment he stayed out, but when I opened the door, there's a dining room, I can see $200 right there on the table. I don't remember taking it out. I don't remember. I never do that. So, and he may have seen it, but it's fine. I got the book, gave it to him. And um, so that's another experience that they gave me. I have other experiences, but, but Absolutely, you have to know that you are protected and guided if you can truly believe that. And you can feel, I talk to my guardian spirits and guardian angels all the time about everything. And I ask them questions and um, I even sometimes complain, why do I have to go through this? What am I supposed to learn from this? <laughs> But talk to them, you know, that's, um, it's, it's, they'll give you all kinds of, yeah. They are incredible experiences, Shikai. And I'm just thinking, you know, uh, I, for me, sometimes I just go through periods of doubt, um, but, and I, that's kind of normal. Um, but you're, you I don't think I'd even call it faith, but you're um, you you are very strong in knowing that they're there. Of course, you had these two experiences that are more than two. I know you've had more than than though even the ones you've mentioned. Um, but it's as though you already had something in you already 
in order to draw those experiences to you. You know that the man in the car uh, had never done anything like that before. It's your right. It, it, it happened for you both to learn a lesson. Um, incredible, really incredible. Um, I think it's it's very interesting thing that I've learned in my life that any experience that we have, any affliction with or conflicts with other people or whatever, it's never a lesson for one party. Okay. It's always, always it happens to both parties or whoever is involved in that conflict mm -hmm. or whatever. Um, it, happy things too. It's, it's, it's a lesson for all of us that, that's involved. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, it won't happen to you. You know, mm -hmm. um, yeah, my life experience has also taught me that. So it's very, very interesting. Just things happen for a reason, even if we can't see the reason at that time. Yeah. It's uh, amazing. You also... Um, value gratitude as well uh, are there things that you do or how, how do you find the gratitude within you I never get around uh, no I don't say I never get around um, but I could do you know think of the things I'm uh, I have gratitude for a lot more in the morning and at night time I go out into my garden barefoot no matter what time of the year and I thank mama earth I thank Father Sky, Father Sun, my garden, all of the garden devas and all of the nature beings and all of nature. So I do that every morning and every night before I close you know, the door on the nighttime or close over the curtains. And I do that um, every day. So I guess, I guess that is gratitude as well. I never thought of it till I just said it to you now. Um, but I, I, but, but other than that, I, you know, every now and again, I'll say, oh, I'm very grateful for my mom and for my friends and for my home and for my job and for all of those things as well. Um, but uh, is, is there anything that you do or is it just I imagine it's just innate in you anyway? But No, actually, it never was. When I was young, you know, I was taught by my parents or my, my mother or family members or, or teachers or whoever says that you should be grateful and I didn't understand what am I supposed to be grateful for I was saying it's like what well, grateful for what and then because of the experiences um, that I was given with dolphins whether it's a dolphins or spiritual or whatever they taught they just naturally gave me this this that like the dolphins the incredible fantastic experiences that they gave me you can't you can't help but feel gratitude <laughs> you know it's just so fantastic experiences and then as i um you know started uh, deep in my spiritual practices and stuff and i was told by somebody um to do this practice, um, put the um, all the the you know the, the, the gratitude practices. Since one of them was that put all kinds of food on the table, low low table, 
and um, it, whether it's 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 rice, you know, bowl of rice or um, a, a dish of um, vegetables and fruit and anything that you can you know you can find, and then you put your head way down, lower than the the food, okay, lower than the table, and so you'll your um, forehead is actually touching the ground, the floor. And then you say, thank you, spinach, thank you, rice, thank you, you know, fish, or thank you, whatever. Thank you, carrots, thank you, orange, thank you, apples, you know, each stuff that you can think of that you appreciate and you eat. And then after, while I was doing it, I started feeling like really emotional. It's like these things, we don't even, we take their life. We take their life so that we can keep our lives. We, we get energy from them. We get all kinds of nutri nutrition, nutrients from them. Oh, Oftentimes, we don't even thank them. We take it for granted. And when I started doing that, lowering my head and saying thank you to each and everything that you can think of, that you take the life of each and every day, I started feeling like, oh my God, what? blessing that they give us without asking for gratitude, without asking anything back, or we just take it without asking permission. And they become one with us so we can continue to live. And I started like crying like crazy, like a baby, feeling the love and blessing of plants and animals and all the natural elements, the sun that makes the plant lives and the animal lives grow and sustain their lives and the air and the water and all the other natural elements that we take it for granted. And so, that was one practice that, that I don't practice that every day. Now, I had that experience once, but they gave me. And so since then, or around that time, I believe, I started really seeing what these natural elements give us, really. We take it for granted, like I said, but it's, 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 it filled my heart with gratitude. Yeah, so that's, that's, a, that's a wonderful experience that I've had. And so, so since then, I just look at like a pumpkin. It's like, oh, I feel so much love for each, you know. And then when I see some, you know, we shop at the farmer's market. I grow you know, a lot of food too, like, but during the winter, I, we still, quite you know uh, uh, get a lot of stuff from farmers market and stuff and when the carrots were 
tied together so tightly with rubber band. And I feel so bad for the carrots. It's just like, they can't, you know, it's too tight. And I, I feel, I feel the life in it. I even feel from the rocks and stuff, water, rocks, the inanimate objects. We see inanimate objects, but they got the light. They got the life, universal, the life. Mm-hmm. They have the life and uh, we are part of it. We are absolutely part of it. And that's one of the things that dolphins also taught me. Like oh, we are all connected. We are all connected in this universal energy force. We are all connected. So, you know, 100 monkey thing. It's like, mm-hmm. in, yeah. Hundred monkey effect, is it? Yeah, exactly. So we're what we think, what we feel. It's because we're so connected. It's you know, it spreads when a certain percentage of human beings awaken. It's going to change. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, negative things too. If if yeah. enough people have real negativity emotions and or negative outlooks you know mm-hmm. about whatever might be happening in your life or in the world mm-hmm. it also spreads like a wildfire that's right yeah so we got to be also um yeah i think it's important to cultivate grat- gratitude and also to um i have this is i'm saying to myself it's it's important that i don't go down the you know, um, negativity, you know, mm-hmm. because it affects other people and the world mm-hmm. collectively, each one of our emotions and thoughts. That's how we create our, you know, destiny or the life. Mm-hmm. And it, it is true to, I mean, it's, it's difficult at times, uh, not to have, you know, it being angry is not necessarily negative or whatever, um, but it is be careful. It is important to be mindful of what you put out into the world. I mean, I've often thought, oh, my God, what was I thinking there? You know, and then to, you know, somehow cancel it out and overlay it with something you know, um, more uplifting or more loving, say, and less harmful as well. I, I think I, I'm not, you know, I don't, I don't think that it's good to suppress your feelings, mm-hmm. whether it's mm-hmm. anger or um, uh, whatever you're feeling. I don't think it, it's good to suppress because if you're suppressing it, all you're doing is, is just, after a while, you can't hold it, it's gonna explode and manifest into um, illness or whatever form it may, it may take. It just, you can't suppress it. We have to learn, I guess, I'm, I'm still trying to learn uh, this, this thing, how to, how to, um, as, you know, or, or, or um, what's the word, um, like, 
it's an energy, right? It's an energy. So you have to change the form of energy, not by suppressing, but somehow, um, uh, you know, what's the word? That transmute, is it? Transmute yeah, or transform? Or, yeah, transform. Yeah, transform. Yeah. Like, you know, some, yeah, transform. But not by suppressing it, but, mm -hmm. but um, for example, if you put your negative thoughts and let's say you, you, you're angry at somebody for something that they did to you or something. So rather than just keep just either suppressing it or just, you know, just blurt it out. I think it's, it's, it's important to express a lot of times when we have conflicts, that's basically misunderstanding of each other. So it's important to communicate but sometimes it doesn't necessarily, the conflict doesn't resolve in just by talking it out. Some people can't even hear um, your point of view or you might not be able to hear their point of view or understand it. Uh, and talking it out may be sometimes out because some people don't wanna hear and they're like, you know, can't can't hear, want see, and they don't want to take it in, uh, or you might not be able to take it in at that moment. But if you put what well, one one spiritual teacher says, um, put that whatever you're feeling, positive or negative, into a bigger prayer. For example, like um, you know. may all human beings awaken to truth and to realize their true divine light or something like that. To just keep putting that, all your emotions and thoughts into a bigger prayer, which is, which, which aligns with universal force or God or whatever you wanna call it. So that's one way I'm still trying to, to uh, find a way that I could do that without feeling um, resentment, uh, without leaving the anger feeling or rage or whatever um, I may have, um, without suppressing it, you know, somehow transform it into um, higher form. Arts is, is also a great way expressing in, in music, song, art, poems, writings, you know, it, these are great ways to do that. And um, as you do, do that, you might find the way to transform that. You know, a lot of beautiful arts come from a lot of sufferings too, you know, pains. And, oh, swim with dolphins. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> they give you so much <laughs> oh absolutely yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, what have been your greatest challenges Shikai yeah right now too I'm dealing with a lots of physical issues I have uh, some mobility issues my joint pains and uh, you know I'm 66 years old and 
I've been doing a lot of, um, you know, uh, physical work as a dancer when I was young. And I was pretty careless too. I used to do dancing show like a chorus line without properly warming up. Um, and I used to jog uh, in ballet shoes and improper shoes. And, stuff. and so, you know, when you're young, you feel invisible and you can't do anything, but you will pay for it when you get older. If, you, if you're not kind to your body, you know. So um, yeah, if you're doing a hard physical work, you gotta warm yourself up and stuff like that and have a proper shoe wear, you know. No. And, so I am dealing with that, but I also, I gratitude, I, um, I do every night when I uh, brush my teeth or take me a bath, a shower, I do thank each part of my body. I go through this whole thing from teeth and gum to, you know, brains to all the muscles and, you know, blood and, you know, and anything that I can think of that, that I know. And I give thanks to these. Um, yeah, each organs and functions and yeah so that's my daily practice and um, I know it's it's temporary even if lasted the whole life of my you know short life on this earth and even if you live to up to 100 it's still short if you think about this whole you know big you know, limitless life that we keep living. And I believe in reincarnations. I don't know about you, but I do, absolutely. I don't think any human beings can learn much in one life. <laughs> it's very short. So, yeah. Yeah. So we will keep learning and growing. Yeah. And what do you most value in life? Love, gratitude, sovereignty, yeah, and connection with nature. I value that very much. I love gardening. I love seeing things grow. And again, they don't talk, but they do teach you. They do teach you quite a lot of things while gardening. Um, of course, my dogs and cats who passed away, but they, my cats passed away, but oh my God, the connection with them, it's just unbelievable. I don't swim with dolphins, but they're in my heart and my cats too, and my dog. It's, they're, they're so in my heart and just, I treasure them. I. I'm so grateful that they came in my life and I'll be forever grateful. It's so, so beautiful. So, so beautiful. Yeah. So those are the things that I value. And what would you pass on to the young generation today of all the things that you've learned? I think, yeah, the thing that, that I, I, 
would like to um, tell them that you might not feel necessarily connected with all the other people or animals or plants because I wasn't when I was younger, but we are absolutely connected. So what we think, what we feel actually, actually create your life. And, and so what you think, what you see, what you visualize, really, you know, there's a saying that be careful what you say or what you think, because it's going to happen to you. And that's true. That's absolutely true. So, um, so if that's the truth, think, visualize positive things and appreciate, appreciate. If you appreciate what, what you appreciate, appreciate to, and, and it happens, it just keeps happening. If you think, if you are grateful for something, more, more things that you feel grateful happens to you. It's, it's, it's like a rule, it, you know, un, universal law or something. And when you start seeing, seeing things that, that, oh, I, oh, I love this. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. And then there's more of the things that, that you can appreciate will come to you. Or mm -hmm. you start seeing more appreciation. So, you know, so that's one. And power of intention, power of visualization, like I talked about, I think that's really, really powerful. Um, it, it really has the power to materialize, to make a reality your dream, uh, your dream becoming a reality. So um, if you want something in your life, um, really visualize that with the feeling and as if seeing it and saying it as if it already is happening in your life and, and, and I appreciate that. And um, yeah, you know, it's, and everything, I, I talked about it, but everything has a reason, you know? good or you know positive or negative so you may not see it at that moment but you, later you will start to see that that often you know i i hear a lot of people who like went through quite a lot of like a tra tragedy or a, a lot of things they say that was the best thing that happened to me and many people say that who got cancer, a terminal illness, and then they came over because they changed their lifestyle or diet or whatever, or way of thinking. And they say that, you know, many. So um, a lot of things that happen um, in your life, you may feel like, oh my God, it's, it's, it's like, you know, when I was 20, 22, lots of things happened. I um, I broke up with my boyfriend. 
and um, I was I was told by you know I went through a, a lot of stuff physically, and um, um, the doctor told me that I may have a cancer, and uh, I didn't have a good job or any job, so I was financially um, you know struggling and stuff like that, and the things happened like all you know all at once it seemed like. And I was like so depressed and so in, in pain. And I just, just cried and cried for weeks and weeks. And, and at one moment, I realized that, you know, Chikai, stop hurting yourself. Stop hurting yourself. And when the minute I said that to myself, this huge dark black clouds that was surrounding me lifted up. The moment I said, stop hurting myself, it just lifted. And I learned from that experience that it's, it's how I perceive things that's giving me pain or this emotional pain. And so I said, oh, it wasn't really that the outside situation hasn't changed a bit. I still may have a cancer. I'm still broken up with my boyfriend and all the other things stayed the same, but my feeling lifted. The black clouds lifted. So I learned that from that experience too. So it's, um, like I said, everything happens for a reason. And it, there's always a lesson. So. I just, what am I supposed to learn from this experience? You know, ask that. Ask, talk to your guardian angels. What am I supposed to learn from this? If you can figure out yourself, and usually you can, you know, if not the, at that moment, it'll come to you. Thank you, Shikai, for a truly beautiful and inspiring conversation. Um, I, I have enjoyed it so much and being uh, lost beautifully in your world this evening it has been amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for I enjoyed talking with you and before this podcast we got to really <laughs> talk and chat and have a conversation which was lovely. So lovely to, to get to know you. Yeah, and you too, Shikai. And hopefully one day we will actually be able to meet. I well, would love that and have meals together. And have <laughs> meals and cook. Yes, we both enjoy that very much. So, and, yeah. and, and bow down and thank our food for what it's given us as well. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Oh. Thank you for listening to this Lady Time conversation. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did and more. Please do share it with your friends, family and on your social media. And please subscribe to Lady Time too if you like it.
You can like or even love us on our Facebook page by searching for Lady Time Podcast, where you'll find all of our links and see what we're up to. And if you'd like to share any private feedback or tell us what you'd like to hear more of, or even have a midlife story or a beyond midlife story of your own that you think may be of interest to us, you can private message us on Facebook um, or you can email us at ladytimepodcast at protonmail.ch. Until our next episode, bye for now.